0: This is the I Read Comic Books podcast. I'm Tia, your host for this special edition mini-sode. We asked our amazing listeners to make donations in support of the protests calling for racial justice. And a huge thanks to Kevin McDaniel for unlocking this interview with Henry Barajas, author of La Voz de Mayo, Tata Rambo. Hello, Henry. Hello, Tia. I miss you.
1: <laughs> I miss you too
0: we hang out at conventions we see each other like every couple of months during convention season and we've already missed a couple this year
1: yeah yeah it's almost like if you're my neighbor sometimes you're just coming over around you know (laughs) it's just like you see and one of the gifts and the gift and curse of being on the road so so often is a lot of your social network is on the road
0: it's true I'm a hermit most of the time and, and now I'm a hermit all of the time. How are you, how are you doing in the world right now?
1: Oh, you know, I mean, it's, I'm frustrated and angry about what's happening. You know, it's been a very hectic 2020. I mean, it's been, it's been bad forever. You know, I mean, like there was, my neighbor was just, you know, I was riding my back bike into the garage and my neighbor goes, you just can't wait for everything to go back to normal. And it's like, well, Sorry to break it to you, man. There's yeah. There's no normal. And normal was never good enough.
0: Yeah, I've heard that from people too. And it really frustrates me because I feel like as long as people are thinking that way, we're never going to get to the new normal where it's better for everyone.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think as uh, we're going to get into my book eventually, and that's not, you know, important, but history is like my favorite subject. And I was terrible at math in school, really terrible book smart kid but I loved reading and writing and history was always so interesting to me and and I was very very into American history as far as like you know black black people and Native American people and just last night watching the Bruce Lee 30 for 30 and seeing how Asian people have been treated in this country and it's like I'm always thinking about these things and then now everyone's starting to talk about it and i know a lot of people like yourself and a lot of people like in comics in general we're all very you know sensitive to all this stuff so it's nice to finally not feel alone in that
0: your book is an incredible document in terms of a of not just a comic book but also like a a historical document and a piece of research i know that you had done some um some appearances on like the library circuit, and and that you've kind of been in touch with educators about uh, using your book in in their curriculums and things like that. Did you ever think that would
1: happen? No, <laughs> absolutely not. I did not think that was going to happen. Um, just to catch everybody up, La Voz de Mayo. Thought the Rambo it stands for La Voz is the voice. And Mayo stands for Mexican American Yaqui Others, an organization my great grandfather co-founded with uh, Native Americans, Yas uh, Pasqua natives, and he had uh, worked with his his community to build roads, you know, in their in their community to have trash collection picked up and on a weekly basis. Help the tribe gain electricity and plumbing, running water back in just as early as. 1960 1970 you know uh, these people had to go to water wells and they had outhouses and and um, he helped install all this and bring this to the community and where the book takes place is i think the most kinetic moment in their in the like la voz de mayo origin where the city is threatening to displace the native americans from their land that they had were refugees on the the Yaquis had um fled Mexico because the Mexican government was killing them and when we celebrate Cinco de Mayo we're celebrating that um that war that the Yaquis the French and the Mexicans and a lot of the indigenous people had during those times so they had fled came to Arizona and that's where they were you know settled they went into Northern California, uh, as far as Northern California, and the city of Tucson was just ready to just get rid of all that. And these people that had been celebrating their, you know, Christian-based faith and um, just very indigenous, old um, heritage, a lot of it was all spoken. So it was hard to get a lot of this information down. Thankfully, my great-grandfather had published these newsletters, that were included in the book, so that I had breadcrumbs and events to bounce things back and forth from. And um, I wanted—I I mean, I didn't think this would ever happen—but I, I wanted to honor Mouse and Persepolis books that were taught in my high school growing up. And those were those books being included in in the curriculum at a time where I had zero interest in being there. Really. Captured my attention, and I hope now that I've I've learned there's a there's a there's a, a professor at uh, Cornell University who's going to include this in her Latinx history and comics course, and um, I respect that institute, and I'm really honored that it is it's reaching places I never thought it would ever go.
0: I love that you have some of these original documents in printed in the book so that we can see, you know, I I think that it really brings it to life and and really gives us a chance to kind of engage with the people who this was happening to and around and and, um, something that Else that I think really is striking about the book and and makes it such a a poignant piece of of historical writing is that you also get into the personal life here. you know this is this is also family history for you,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you it's um it was difficult to get a consensus from the family because I wanted to focus on his infidelity. That was something important to me. I always felt kind of lied to when I would learn independently about you know civil rights leaders like Dr Martin Luther King who had uh you know was not faithful to his wife despite being such a respected person and a religious man and right. uh, you know Gandhi had slept with his like 13 year old cousin or you know very young family member so that he was so he wouldn't be tested you know so when you find these things out you know you I at least thought that these people were perfect and that they had done amazing things and then feeling a little bit cheated after learning some more about these people. And then just remembering, yeah, these people are human. I mean, we, we all have done and said things that we regret. And I thought in this Me Too, I mean, it was while I was writing this in 2015, 2016, the Me Too era was, was really ramping up or and just beginning and becoming very something that everyone had to talk about no matter what. And I felt that it would have been, I feel like we need to have these conversations, especially with, with people like myself who are, who identify as, as, you know, cis male and have these expectations of, of being a certain kind of guy growing up. You're always, I mean, I was always teased for not like being, Disrespectful to girls, or being very forward with women, and being given this weird, like, excuse my language, but rapey, like, advice from all my friends to treat like the opposite sex. And I had never felt comfortable with that. And um, I feel like I had learned a lot through comics and superhero comics specifically to how to treat everybody you know, and with respect. And and then also for my great grandmother, and my mother, they always told me, they'd always point out horrible things that the men that my family were doing and say, you see that don't do that. You know, and I think they had, they felt like they had a chance that helped me be a better guy. And Ramon was a good man. He was an amazing person. He helped introduce contraceptives to the community with the help of um, co-founding the El Rio Clinic, which is still a major health institution in Tucson, Arizona, that helps Native Americans and, and poor folks. And I can point to a million things that he's done. And it was important for me to, to show a human aspect to him and um, let, let people see people be imperfect. Because I, I feel like we, we never get to fail and that's that's a huge problem in our society.
0: Yeah, I sometimes worry now, especially that everything is online, if people feel like, well, I've already screwed up, so I guess I can't do anything good, you know, in some way. But something that I really like about this story is not only do you, you know, tell the whole story of this you know, imperfect person um, who has their faults just as much as they have their strengths. But also, I love how much this is like, it's just change on a local level that that kind of r- ripples out in time and space as as something important. And I think that there's also a sense that a lot of people have of these problems just being too big for them to tackle. So something I love about the story is that, you know, it's like, the, the beginning of it is just tackling a local problem, right? Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah, and 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 that's I think like, you know, I I never went to college, so I always had to go local. And I always had to kind of learn from my surroundings and then grow up. And the interesting thing about that time period that my great grandfather was in was that he was a World War Two veteran and He was a Mexican-American and he was respected for his service and he commanded a certain sense of respect from people that translated to the local government with the mayor and with uh, Senator uh, uh, Morris Udall and, or Congressman, excuse me, uh, Congressman Udall. And you, I think a lot of people forget that or at least, uh, I mean, at least I think a lot of people don't really consider the local impact that they can have and how much it really directly affects them and the people around them. And without the work that my great-grandfather did with Udal and the tribe and the Mexican migrants in that area, a lot, I mean, who knows what kind of city it would be today without the amazing um spirit that the Yaqui people bring and a lot of the I mean and unfortunately I've heard as, as from people that I know that have read the book or that have just reached out that a lot of tribes were just stamped out and killed off and a lot of that information was all verbal and it was important for me to to recognize Native Americans and how important they are to our to the, to, to our time with the United States and the United States being such, having such a horrible history with its indigenous people. And, um, Morris K. Udall was a Republican and a Mormon, and he had this amazing respect and he had this sense of urgency to help indigenous people. And he'll for re- forever be remembered for that.
0: Yeah, I mean, going back to what we were saying just a minute ago, people contain multitudes. <laughs> they they can uh, be complicated, and right. uh, you know, I, I if I can go back to something that you said, and you've mentioned it in the book too, that a lot of these stories and and histories are um, are an oral tradition. They're they're not written. In the same way that you know, Western history is written down and and passed on, and so when you're gathering these histories and compiling them and, and putting them into a book, was how were you? Uh, what was the translation process like for you from a an oral medium to a written one? And was comics a way to kind of help mitigate that? Cause I, I it can be a really jarring translation sometimes.
1: Yeah. No. Um originally this was supposed to be a biography that I was writing out because I was a um a journalist, I mean a working journalist at the time. And then John Lewis's March came out. And that gave me the inspiration and the push to take what I was trying to do and bring it to a to a visual medium. And it was difficult because I love history and I don't mind talking heads, but when I'm taking this to a to a medium that I love and respect and I know its potential, taking taking that moment, and I think the moment that they went that that my great grandfather and the Yaquis and the Mexican Americans and and the migrants where they all went to downtown Tucson for the first time. A lot of those, and the, some of the people that I had spoke to that had been alive that it, were there, like Rosie Jimenez, she said it was the first time she ever left that area, and it was like this is, a, and it was for a lot of those people, they had never been to the city, and taking you know this fish out of water, and demanding that they fight for their their land was so beautiful to me. And I knew that that was going to be the most interesting visual part of all this, because a lot of this is just, you know, it's not as they, they didn't have to protest as much until this point. And I wanted to show that fight. And that was, that was the fun part. And, you know, without Jay Gonzo, the artist and Bernardo Brees, the letter artist and Claire Napier, my editor on the series, um, we they were able to help me tell that story in a way that I, I'm very proud of now.
0: How did you assemble your creative team?
1: <laughs> so I, I work with Top Cow Productions, and um, Matt Hawkins was interested in what I was doing, and he asked to look at what, look at my overall what I had, which was a script didn't really have an didn't really have a pitch necessarily because i didn't want to pitch this to anybody i was just going to do it and i told him (laughs) what i was doing and he liked it and he had suggested that i work with jay gonzo and jay gonzo is someone i had known from the arizona uh, comic circuit and um thankfully he carved out the time and um, top gal was gracious enough to help pay for some pages so we can kickstart Um, the series so that all my, my goal was to get my creative team paid. And that's what the Kickstarters were for. I mean, now that the book is out, you know, the book broke even and it sold a lot of, you know, it sold a lot of books and, and I was able to, now I'm in the process of, you know, reimbursing Top Cow for the, for the art that they helped me pay for. But, I didn't want to owe the people who made the book. So um, I also worked on Where We Live. It was an anthology to benefit mass shooting survivors for the Las Vegas, um, Route 91 Las Vegas charity. And that was through uh, Wendy Wright and J.H. Williams III. And our mutual buddy, uh, Will Dennis, was super kind and gave me uh, an opportunity to interview a uh, survivor that was... That was there at the shoot at the the massacre, um, and Bernardo Brees lettered every title, nearly every ti- every story in that book, except for mine and maybe some other people's, and I knew that if somebody could letter like a hundred different creators, a hundred like dozens of stories, he could deal with me. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> if you could do that hard work and then come and I know you could work on uh, at a capacity that I need you to work. And, um, Claire Napier is like a friend and has always had such a huge uh, opinion on the internet. And I value how she sees comics. And I wanted somebody that was completely removed from all this. Someone who could totally take themselves out and not see this as an important, um, document for latinx and native american history but as something that could stand on its own as a comic book so she was kind enough to help
0: i think that's a really important point because you know right i am i'm a historian and yes you are i actually did go to school for it and i i was i worked in museum curatorial and i've taught at you know colleges and universities and whatnot and so you know I definitely I gravitate towards things that have scholarship behind them and that are you know engaging in a kind of more uh, for lack of a better word academic uh, realm but it's true that this is also just like a really incredible sort of you know superhero story in a way, right? This is, this is a person who stepped up, um, and, and helped his community. And, and, uh, so I think that you definitely managed to appeal to people like me who are like, Ooh, I love comics and I love history, but also people who are just like, I love stories and I love comics.
1: Right. Yeah. That was important for me. You know, I think, it's uh I mean I've seen reviews and I've seen people talk about the book and, and a lot of people are turned off because it's centered towards Latinx and Native American people and I expected that. Um but I also wanted to kind of put something out there that was interesting to look at and Jay Gonzo was was very good at helping me tell a story with the way I see comics and how it flows and how it sounds. Comics really sound, they have sound to me.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: You know, and I just love it when you hear a comic.
0: I also really love uh, the color palette. I, you know, I'm from the Southwest, also. So uh, the you color know palette, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it just feels re- correct. Like it feels like it's it's grounded in that yeah. location. It's very limited. Palette, yeah,
1: it's a great, it's a great piece of art that Jay Gonzo did. I, my only note was I oh I want it to always look like a Tucson sunset.
0: Yeah, yeah, and absolutely.
1: It's warm, and it's like purple and pink and there's a lot of turquoise in Tucson and there's just a lot of, uh, beauty in it. And I wanted, I wanted it to look like the beautiful thing that I loved looking out to, you know, she, Tucson is, is gorgeous and it's on fire right now. I don't know if you saw, I but know, the I Bighorn know. mountain uh, fires is, it's so sad. There's so many scared javelinas and, mountain lions they're like giant cats that could tear your face off well you
0: know i hope that they all can find shelter and that they can get it under control i mean it it's hard because on the one hand you know it's like the fires it is a sort of seasonal thing in the southwest but it no, it is being affected by climate change and oh, made yeah. more more intense by climate change and it just you know even even knowing that it's seasonal or whatever like it never gets any easier to see happen
1: right. and you're from out here like you're right It it is a thing that happens all the time and I just hate seeing it happen because you're right. Climate change is is impacting the desert so much. And I, I have a lot of friends that have been doing a lot of trail walking and, and hiking during this pandemic because it's one of the safest things you could do. Just wandering out into the desert <laughs> aimlessly. <Yeah.
0: laughs> Social distancing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and uh, I've it's been so beautiful to see how uh, plentiful the desert has been with water. And um, there's just so much water there. For some reason, I'm. I wish I could. I if I was there, I would know why. But um, I'm so disconnected from my hometown. It's. Uh, but yeah, no, that was a. It was a love letter to Tucson and Loveless. The mile was so. Um, yeah, I just um, very. I'm very. Thank you so much for reading it and supporting me, Tia. You've been absolutely. So, um, awesome, in that, and I really appreciate it.
0: Well, it's a really really wonderful book and you know, I I just I love that you included all of these historical documents in it. Like I would love to see this as a genre really take off, you know, like you mentioned we have books like March There's Mouse and per- like, you know, there are a handful of books that are like historical texts in graphic novel form and this book definitely belongs with them, and I, I I, would just love to see this as a genre take off. Yeah. Uh, it I mean, it which, is
1: getting so popular, which I'm glad, you know? I'm really glad that what it's are your, taking uh, off.
0: Do you have any future plans to maybe add add some more to this genre? <laughs> uh
1: you know I would love to do another tribe and talk about their history and their um their their struggles and their that would be that would be cool um there is um i want to do a true crime story but um and that's based on a a tucson killer and um I re- the interesting thing about that story is the one of the victim's mothers was always pressing the police to do something about it, and they dismissed her, saying that girls run away all the time during this time of year. Like it, they just did the the Tucson Police Department did not care that this woman, that this woman's daughter, just up and disappeared in a, like, leave it to Beaver, small town like Tucson. That kind of stuff doesn't happen. And uh, he eventually got caught. And there's, the way this guy is painted, he's like this very charismatic guy. And all the victims are basically faceless. And they're all women. So it'd be nice to retell this guy's story, but really paint the terrible picture of him.
0: I would love to see you usher in this, I don't know, genre of like local journalists uncovering these stories and putting them out into the world in comic form. I feel like, you know, that's we've got to get you a, an (laughs) editor in chief job at that publisher. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I know there's so many new publishers popping up. I feel like I'm late to the game.
0: Well, you've been busy writing. Yeah, and you put yourself in this book, which I I love br- that sort of break in the fourth yeah, wall. Yeah, I'm a narcissist. Par- <laughs> um, do you think that that uh, how would it how would it make a story different that you would write about, say this this Tucson? A killer if if you didn't have the personal connection and you weren't you know putting yourself in the story or would you put yourself in the story as like this is me i'm the journalist uncovering this this mystery
1: yeah that's an interesting question that no one's ever asked me <laughs> um <laughs> yeah i i'd like to think that i have a range outside of myself you know um with the killer story i've had some ideas on how i want to present it and people keep asking why am i not putting myself in the comic maybe that's my thing maybe i just write it's i don't know i'm I, I as someone who's been inspired by so many underground 80s cartoonists where they are in their books i think that's where i kind of i like to live and i like to see that in my comics I consume
0: well you will definitely have to keep us updated because we would love to read more from you (laughs) and uh, and we would love to have you back on the show sometime. so uh, yeah no
1: I'm I love listening I love catching the you know catching you on Instagram and and um I think comics shows um are some of the funnest because there's so many different things you talk about, you know, outside of comics and so many different subject matters that you kind of grow into that you don't really get with a lot of discussions, you know, that's, I like, I like having these moments and being able to just talk about anything.
0: Well, um, we really appreciate your support. And, uh, definitely the feeling is mutual. Yeah, so, uh, who, uh,
1: who was the person who donated to unlock this?
0: Uh, his name is Kevin McDaniel.
1: Kevin, thank you. Thank you so much for doing, for donating. It's important.
0: Do you have any, uh, final words that you want to leave for our listeners, for the people who are, you know, out there on the streets, uh, keeping, you know, keeping these issues in the public so we can actually like we said get to the new normal
1: yeah it's um i'm sure you and i you know at least i recognize it in you there is a fatigue you know this is going to be you know don't be so hard on yourself this is a daily thing that we're going to have to be doing for the rest of our lives for the sake of the next generation you know I think this is something we're always going to have to work on no matter what. And to really um, forgive yourself when you're not able to go to every rally or every protest and, you know, you're you're donating as much as you can. I always feel like I'm never donating enough. You know, I feel like I need to just empty my my bank account and – I've also been trying to support more local establishments. You know, there's an Indian food restaurant right around around the corner from me. There's a Black-owned barbecue restaurant that's down the street from me. Um, You know, there's a Mexican, uh, historic Mexican restaurant really, really close. And I'm trying to, you know, spread the, the dollar locally, just like in my book, you know, trying to avoid going to like Starbucks or there's like yeah. a really cool tea shop near me called um, tea pop that does boba and coffee and tea and that's a great place to go when you're when you don't want to just sink your money into billionaires' pockets
0: uh folks can buy a to Mayo pretty much anywhere but is there a, a comic shop you want to give a <laughs> shout out to
1: um, let's see in your neck of the woods Forbidden Planet bought copies. Um, and they were, you know, they had such a successful in, um, Indiegogo, um, to keep them around. Heidi Ho comics just emailed me saying they're sold out. So I need to go and drop off copies there. Um, there's a space cadets in Houston that I know it's there. I know it's thankfully all around the world. While, while we were at thought bubble, a UK retailer told me they ordered copies
0: Oh that's wonderful
1: <laughs> and uh, I had met another u uh, k retailer that was an artist alley um, and they had featured the book for a week and um you can get it anywhere there's I think this website called bookshelf or book book something bookshop dot org you buy it there and um, proceeds go to local bookstores um, yeah I mean it, I hate to promote Amazon, you know, but it's there and I know people buy it from there and I really appreciate them when they buy it and they review it there. Um, I know earth two and Sherman Oaks got it. Charlie's comics and Tucson got it. um, And heroes and villains there. And um, yeah, a lot of um, universities are buying it. So libraries. So exciting. Yeah. Uh, Worldcat.org. You type in your, um, zip code and it'll show you the closest place to get it at a library. Uh, it's on Hoopla, digital, comiXology. I'm very grateful. It's literally anywhere you can get a book.
0: Well, Henry, thank you so much for donating your time to do this
1: uh, interview for us. Oh, of course. Thank you for having me. And I miss you. I miss you so much. I miss
0: you too. I don't know when we're going to have conventions again but we're going to have the, the best glitter dance party when we, we finally are. get to again yes,
1: yes. <laughs> I can't wait
0: thank you so much thank you all for listening and thank you again to Kevin McDaniel for unlocking this amazing interview with Henry <laughs> <laughs> N- <laughs> bye bye everyone thank you. thanks